eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Pray, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Friday edition. Or maybe you're, you're sitting around the house waiting for this 8, 10 p.m. game and you're listening to the podcast again. Welcome to game day if that's the case. Uh, yeah, 8, 10 p.m. kickoff, FS1, Alex Faust, and Petros Papadikas are on the call um, for this one. Oregon, 3-1, and 1-0 in the Pac-12, 13th best team in the country, according to the Associated Press. And then Stanford is 1-2, and 0-2 oh in the Pac-12. Um, guys, let's go into this one first. We're going to flip-flop here. Oregon is a 17 and a half point favorite last time I looked. Jared, is that right still? Is it has it adjusted? I haven't I haven't checked today, but uh give me one second. It was yesterday when we looked at it, and it was a 17 and a half point. It's been moving all weekend or all week. Um I I was at some flag football youth games last night. A couple people came up to me and asked me, like, what do you think about the game? They should blow them out, right? But it's Stanford. Like Are we buying or selling the idea that Oregon is more than a three-point score favorite against the Stanford team? I mean, that just seems astronomically high considering everything. Yes, Jerry. The spread is now 17, so it's moved down half a point. The over-under is 62.5, which I think is down from the original of 64.5. So coming down a little, I guess, if you want to count it as a little. still really high. Yeah, I I think there because of what we've laid out this week, there's a lot of like you know statistical points to hit that you can kind of make sense out of this in terms of um, just the fact that Stanford's really struggled the last year. Right, they were three and nine last year. The last game they won was against Oregon. Um, they lost the last seven this year. They've played three teams. They've lost two of them to the two FBS teams. Um, they they beat Colgate. Which is a, I think, a pretty lesser FCS team. Actually, haven't gone in through. I think they're one and three this year. So, I, I, I understand that part. I understand also some of the movement this week makes some sense in terms of. I think it was. What is it? Did it open at thirteen and a half? Is that what it was? Something like that. I, I understand. No, the, 
The spread opened at 16 and a half. I thought it was 13 and a half somewhere. I saw it, but okay, 16 and a half. Regardless, I understand a little bit of movement just because of some of the injuries as well for Stanford in terms of EJ Smith's out for the season. You've got both your offensive tackles are questionable at this week, according to David Shaw. If they play, you don't know where they're going to be at exactly. You look at the way they've lost these two games in conference play, kind of sloppy games, lacking some things that you'd probably like to see from an offense that has a lot of talent. Like, I mean, I think it's notable that you look at the composite team talent in the conference. Stanford is is not on Oregon or USC's tail, but they're right there with Washington um, in terms of being kind of near the top of the conference with regards to blue blood talent. They still have a couple dozen four-star recruits. This is not like a team that's lacking in that regard, but you haven't seen it yet. So um, I kind of understand the 17. Oregon also has won, was it now 21, 20, 21 straight home games. I can't remember yeah. if the factor in BYU, I think it's 21. Um, so there's a lot of things in Oregon's favor here. Um, I, I get that. Still feels weird with this line. I also will say, having looked through the head-to-head series, I was kind of surprised at how many of these are just complete butt kicks one way or the other. Yeah, yeah there's um, a lot of those. Because you, you kind of think like, oh, Oregon, Stanford, they're going to be down to the wire games. Well, if you kind of look through it, um, since 2010, Oregon – has had four games they've won by three or more scores, or 21 or more points, I should say. So it could even be more. I have to go look and see if there's anything else that falls kind of into that 17 and above margin. And Stanford has two. So six of the last, like, 13 or so of these games, 12 or so of these games, have been games that would fall in this range. So I kind of get it. Um, I also think if you're Oregon, um, you know, you beat up Eastern, you beat up BYU, you had a hard time, obviously, in the other two games away from home. So I do think there's a little bit of I'm maybe a little surprised by just kind of the, the confidence Vegas has. But I think this is a lot, largely based on Stanford, to be honest. Yeah, this is 100 percent based on Stanford. Um, they're just they're just not not good, frankly, as, as a power five team. I think Matt talked about it. But again, the last time they won against an FBS opponent <clears throat> was Oregon in 2021. Um, that's a that's a long time, man. That was. I think it was this week last year. So that's the last time that they've won against an FBS opponent. Um, that's just indicative of how they've been playing recently. Um, I also think the line has a lot to do with how good Oregon's offense has been. Obviously, they laid you know, the three points against Georgia. Um, everybody's kind of questioning what is it going to look like. Well, they've gone out and scored 70, 41, and 44 cents. Um, and against Washington State, that, that number could have been way higher because of the miss, of the field goals and the pick six in the end zone or in the red zones that have happened in that game. Uh, they they just moved the ball, and I think this one could quickly get kind of out of hand. Um, I think Oregon. We'll get to all of our predictions later, but I think Oregon should have a really good day on the ground. Uh, I think their offensive line is just way better than, than Stanford's defensive front. Um, and maybe that makes the game go quicker because Stanford is also probably going to try to run it as they as they normally do, and maybe they don't get to that spread. But this could be if if, if Oregon converts on their red zone opportunities against Stanford, or even if they get into the red zone, meaning they might just have a day throwing the ball, where you know Nick's is coming off one of the best games of his career. Maybe that carries over against Stanford. I don't know. I think that this spread is is a lot in part due to how how bad Stanford has been for this last year now and how good Oregon's offense has, has really been against <clears throat> Washington state, who was a top three defense in the PAC 12 heading into that game against BYU, who was looked at as, as a pretty darn good defense in the country, holding 
Baylor's offense to, uh, you know, 20, uh, it was 21 points against Baylor in overtime. Um, and they both put up 40, over 40 against both those teams. I think this this is kind of a recipe for another 40, 40 burger, I think approaching maybe a 50 burger if they have enough time on the clock. Uh, I just think they're going to move the ball. Yeah, I, I'm with Jared and his, this kind of maybe segues to our keys, you know, things we're looking for are keys to the game in this one. Um, I, I think Oregon's going to run all over Stanford. And you look at the stats, you know, statistically, Stanford is one of the worst defenses in the country um, in yards per carry allowed this season. They are 103rd in the country. That That's not good. And Oregon's up front offensively, you know, their rushing attack, it, I feel like, is pretty darn good. It, it's not near the top. It's not like top 10 good, but they're averaging over five yards a carry. And it hasn't happened at Oregon in a while where they've done that. And then you look at across the board, and Jared referenced it, they don't have a lot of size up front. Um, they start a 295-pound defensive tackle, and then his backup is 265. The other starter, 267. And then they have a freshman backing that guy up at 280. They, they're edge players. Traditionally, we've grown up seeing the, you know, grown up. We've seen these Stanford teams have massive size on the edge, you know, on the on the perimeter. And they don't have those guys. They don't have the six foot five or the six foot four edge guys anymore. Um, I so for me, it's it's the key to the game here is up front offensive line. I if this group performs as they should, and I, I feels kind of ludicrous to say this, but I feel like Oregon shouldn't allow a sack again. Like we know four games into the year, they've not done it yet. You know, the team hasn't gotten a sack against Oregon. And it's kind of unfair to say like you should never allow a sack in a, in a conference game. But if there's going to be one, this might be one of those games where that, that expectation is here. So for me, it's the offensive line. If, if they come to play, maybe it's a shootout and Oregon can't stop Stanford's offense which would be a little surprising but i just don't think the prolific efficiency of a stanford offense is equal to oregon's i think it would just be like what we saw last week against washington state where eventually you know oregon will, will catch up and will eventually take the lead or stanford will be, you know won't be able to match point for point every single drive oregon of oregon's ending with points so i think it all starts up up front if the, the edge there uh, it's going to be on Oregon's side up front. I think that's the key to the game. If they play well, I have a really hard time seeing this Oregon team lose. The the one name to know in the front seven for Stanford is David Bailey. Uh, he's a true yeah. freshman, top yeah. 40 recruit last year at a matter day. He's been pretty productive. He's a starter off the edge, 6'3", 240. Um, he's probably – if there's going to be a guy who gets to the quarterback and, and makes things difficult, it's probably him. Um, Matt is 100% right in the assessment, though. This is a smaller defensive line. We had Jackson Moore on the podcast yesterday. He ran through just kind of how green these guys are, too. It's not just that they're not big. It's that they barely played. Like, yeah. these guys have played, like, a combined, I think, less than 100 snaps or something, according to Jackson, prior to this season. Um, and these are your top guys. I and mean, the Cardinal didn't hit the transfer portal here because they have a hard time doing that. It's it's, it's difficult to find players that can come in and, and match the academic requirements sometimes. 
Um, you know, they added one transfer in their secondary. He's a really good player, Patrick Fields. But other than that, they were the only – I think there was – might have been one school that didn't use any transfer portal additions in the fact I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I did that exercise back in, like, July. But Stanford's one of the, the, the schools that used it the least, you know, the least frequent. Um, and it feels like you should have gone after some defensive linemen, but it's probably really hard to go out and find both productive players, but also people that can match the academic requirements to get there. So they didn't. And I think that shows up, um, on paper pretty clearly for me, for me, it's turnovers, um, in this game because Stanford has been absolutely dreadful. They have the worst turnover. They have, they've allowed, um, or I should say they've given it away 11 times in three games, which is just a, ter a terrible number. Um, you know, four interceptions by McKee, seven fumbles lost. Um, running backs have fumbled it three times. McKee has fumbled it twice. They've had some receivers who've had a hard time holding on to the football. Just collectively, they've just had a hard time holding it. Now, I think Jackson brought up the point. I think you agree with it if you go and you just kind of look at the games. If Stanford had been a little bit more careful protecting the ball and hadn't fumbled it and hadn't thrown those interceptions games with USC and Washington could have been pretty competitive. And this, the scores, by the way, were relatively competitive, you know, two, three score games, games that at moments weren't that close, but still for Stanford, it's about, can they minimize turnovers and play a really efficient offensive game? And I think for, for Oregon, it's, you've been pretty good protecting the football now since Georgia, um, you know, yeah. a couple errors here, a couple errors there. But for the most part, not a lot. And I think if you're and, – and by the way, Stanford's only, I think, forced one, maybe two turnovers all season. I forget the exact total. I think it's two. It's one. Um, is it one? Okay. So you kind of want – I think if you go into this game and you go, if, if Stanford were to get some turnover luck and have those numbers kind of fall back on their side, that's the recipe to me for this game being relatively competitive because I think if there's – no turnovers in this game, or each team has one or two turnovers, but they kind of neither are pick sixes or huge game momentum flippers. Then I think Oregon is is a team that's very much capable of covering seventeen. But if there's a bunch of costly turnovers, they come in bad spots, and Stanford wins the turnover battle three to one, and their big spot come in big places. Then I think you could see it get a lot more competitive, and that's where maybe the weird Oregon Stanford on, on a Saturday late night, you know, kind of thing could come into play, but. I just think that's a crucial one. And if you're Oregon's defense, you know, I think you have a little momentum here in terms of forcing turnovers. Um, oh, yeah. You had a really hard time the first three games in doing that, but you put the game away in Pullman because of one. You know, Mace Funa jumps that pass and takes it for a touchdown. I'm not saying that turnovers are contagious or something like that because they're, they are often just very much random kind of luck of the draw plays where you make a read or the ball ends up in a place it's not supposed to, et cetera. But I just kind of feel like, you know, you get a little confidence, maybe, maybe you take another a little bit maybe a more aggressive step towards the ball in some instances. So I'm, uh, I, I'm kind of expecting Oregon to be able to win the turnover battle, in which case I think they're going to be very comfortable in winning this game. But if Stanford wins it, I think it could flip this thing and make it a little bit more competitive than a lot of people expect. I like that. I also, if I were to pick that, I would also include uh, penalties as well. Because Stanford just isn't penalized that much. Um, USC really ran into a lot of penalty issues uh, during their game where they, they won yeah. 41 to 28 over Stanford. Let me look at the numbers. They had nine, nine penalties for 104 yards um, for, for USC. Like that's not, that's no good. Uh, 
Washington was five for 32 and then Colgate was six for 40. Um, Colgate, I won't, I won't bring into the discussion, but if you end up with a game similar to, to what Washington did and you don't give Stanford any free opportunities or, or hurt yourself, like, you know, false start or something like that in the red zone, I think, I think that kind of goes with, with just not, not turning the ball over and then playing a clean executed game. Uh, I think for my biggest key is to, for Oregon to eliminate the run potential for Stanford um, it's something that Washington did uh, against them. Uh, they ran for under uh, 40 yards or under 90 yards as a team, excuse me, looking at the wrong column, 36 attempts, 86 yards. Um, and, and Oregon has been great against the run all season long. Um, I, I think this is something that I don't know if we can necessarily rely on because Stanford is, is a team that will continuously run no matter what. Um, but this is a matchup that I, that I certainly think favors the Ducks. I think forcing Tanner McKee to, to throw the ball is probably why he has all of these interceptions this season. Um, I think Tanner is a, is a good quarterback and one that could probably give Oregon a lot of fits depending on how their secondary plays and how they match up, well, how they match up with these receivers. Um, but I think eliminating Stanford's rushing attack, it's going to be something where it forces, it forces the Cardinal to, to try and throw the ball which I don't think they're comfortable with, even though they have the weapons. Um, I know DJ Johnson's not playing in the first half, but come second half, I think his importance will be felt. Um, I think Oregon's pass rush has been infinitely better in these last couple of weeks than it has been, like, I guess, against Georgia, even though, again, not very fair. Um, if I'm taking Colgate out of this, I might as well take Georgia out of this as well. So, but I, I think that the pass rush is, is going to get there eventually. I think Oregon's going to stop the run. Um, I, I just think that that's a that's a major key in terms of Oregon's defense and, and stopping uh, Stanford and, and potentially you know covering this seventeen point spread. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive into our predictions, uh, ending with our game picks for this game against Stanford. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Game prediction time here. Um, we'll start offensive player, roll into offensive team prediction, and then flip it to the defensive side of the football. Uh, I'll go first. Um, offensive player prediction for me is going to be Bo Nix. Did you guys know he's never thrown for 300 or more yards in back-to-back games in his career? I do now. There you go. I, I think that ends uh, this weekend against Stanford. He threw for um, 428 against Washington State. So my my offensive player prediction will be 
he throws for over 300 yards in this game. And a bonus point or bonus pick here is he's on a career high streak for three in a row of 70% or higher completed passing percentage. I think that goes to four with him completing over 70% or, or better for the fourth straight game as well. So 300 yards passing or more with a 70% or better completion percentage from Bo Nix. I don't think they're going to throw as much. So I want running on this because I, I think they're going to have success running the football. I think this is going to follow more like the BYU game plan where they're really efficient throwing and maybe he gets to 300s because they have some big plays. But I think they're going to run the ball really effectively. And I'm going to try this Bucky Irving over 100 yard thing again. I think I've done this three times. <laughs> so, so far, I did it he, last week. And he's come like or, he's come very, very sh- close every every time. I think he's been like 97 against BYU and 84 last week against Washington State. And frankly, both of those are just low usage things where he has like 11 or 14 carries, I think, in those two games. Yeah. He gets to 16, 18. He's going to get there based, based purely upon how explosive he is and dynamic. So I think Oregon is going to run for a lot of yards in this game. I, I Just going through what Jackson had to say, looking through the numbers, kind of looking at what Oregon's strengths are, I think there's an opportunity to really pound Stanford on the ground. And I think Oregon's going to try to do that and establish that early. And you know, I'm also expecting, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to make this officially part of my 100-yard prediction. This feels like a game where maybe you finally get your long, explosive run for a touchdown. Yeah. We haven't had one. Bucky got really close. Bucky got really close against BYU. He had like a 36-yarder that ended up on the one or the two. Um, but you haven't had like that 50, 60-yard run for a touchdown kind of play. This might be the game where something like that happens. And if that happens, that makes my Bucky over 100 or whoever it is much easier. So I, I've got Bucky for 100 yards. I think it's his be his first at Oregon. And I've been so impressed with him. I'm just, you know, I, I think statistically you haven't had that breakout game where you point to it and people regionally or nationally take, take notice of it. I think this might be an opportunity for him to have a game where you look up and go, wow, this kid's really spectacular and special and, and Oregon's got a good one. Because I, I still think there's – because the numbers aren't just, wow, look at this. I think there's still some kind of un- uncertainty about what Oregon has on the ground. And I know I feel this way. I think a lot of Oregon fans feel this way, that that Irving's really a, a pretty dynamic runner. I'm always worried about the running back ones just because of how often they rotate. Like, right. I feel like you're you're going to need Bucky to explode for like a 40 to 50-yard run to get those 100 yards. That's, and they're, they're gonna, you're going to need Oregon to be ahead for most of the game, which I, I like your chances of this week. Um, I thought I was going to like the chances last week too. But uh, my prediction is I'm going to have Troy Franklin with over 100 yards receiving again for the second straight week. This will be the first time since 2018 that Oregon has had a receiver with back-to-back 100-yard or 100-yard games. This will be the first time since that same Dylan Mitchell 2018 season where a wide receiver for Oregon has had two, count this, two, only two 100-yard games in a season. Mm-hmm. That's wow. the first time. The last time somebody, uh, they've had multiple wide receivers have a 100-yard game, but this will be the first time right. since Dylan Mitchell, um, who had six, by the way, which is absolutely absurd. I was going through his game logs in 2018. Bananas. Uh, so I'm, I'm with Eric that I don't think Oregon's going to be throwing the ball a lot, but Franklin has been uh, really, really good in terms of, averaging like 30 yards a catch in this last couple of games. So I think this could be another one of his where it's like four or five receptions for 105 yards and maybe a touchdown. Um, he's clearly the number one option right now. Uh, Oregon has a lot of good wide receivers, but he's solidified himself as the number one. Um, I think all it takes, similar to Bucky, yes, Eric, did I mess up? 
Yeah, I got a stat check here. Devin Williams did it in 2020. With multiple 100-yard games? He had back-to-back -back against UCLA and Oregon State, 123 and 101. Sorry, I just was – I thought I remembered really? that. I know. Uh, it's I looked, through. Devin Williams, I looked it up. I could have sworn he had like 94 against Oregon State. Uh, that's that's reference is maybe lying to me, but that's what that's what she tells me. Anyway, I like keep Apologies. going. I like to pick no regardless. It, yes, it's still a great. Cool Sorry, I feel like I feel Thank like bringing it up. I just felt like I had to do it. No, you're good. I thought I looked that one up, but maybe I looked at the 2020 season instead. Um, but anyways, I think we've I all kind of Franklin. blocked out the 2020 season. Yeah, yeah I know. Dis disregard it. Never happened. Well, I gotta look it up. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. I just. I just stats referenced it. Okay, fair enough. Offensive team prediction here. All right. Uh, Offensive team prediction. At Odson Stadium, Oregon's offense has been absolutely on fire. Um, they scored their first seven possessions three weeks ago against Eastern Washington, six straight possessions to start the game against BYU. Um, against Washington State last week, they put up a lot of points, put up a lot of yards. They didn't have as – impressive of a streak of, of scoring drives. Um, but nonetheless, they're pretty darn good right now. I, I think at some point in this game against Stanford, um, we're going to see the Oregon offense rip off like five straight scoring drives in a row. This is going to be a game I feel like very similar to the Chip Kelly era. Because how many times have we seen back then – Oregon struggle in the first quarter with an opponent or maybe even the first half and then over a four or a five <laughs> drive period, Oregon would score like four touchdowns and a field goal. And next thing you know, a 10, 10 game turns into 42 to 13 and the game is over, you know, early fourth quarter. Um, that's my pick. I, I think, Oregon will have a have a point at some point in this game where they score five straight times. Doesn't have to be touchdowns. Um, it's just five straight points, and then a bonus pick here: five hundred or more yards for Oregon. Um, in Stanford's last seven games, dating back to last year, four seventy-five or more six times. They cannot stop anybody. Matt, if the, the, the our scorekeeper is at home, like you're getting that's a double prediction, Matt. I mean, gosh. <laughs> that's four predictions so far. Yeah, yeah you've got you've done, Bonus you've done extra credit here. You're trying to extra you're, credit. You're, you're a teacher's pet. The, uh, the the scorekeeper, he's going like, man, I got to give him so many credits. I'm trying here. to give some opportunities for for some for to get the, some grades up. School just uh, started. Get your grades up. <laughs> yeah, get those grades up. Start start fast. Uh, no, I, I like all of that, and I. I I actually do think there's an opportunity for Oregon to just have sustained success in this game against the Stanford defense, which is has struggled. Uh, one of the stats, by the way, that that stood out. This is a little bit not not on my thing, but Stanford's actually um, 14th in the country in red zone defense in terms Ooh. of they've only given up four touchdowns in 11 opposing offensive trips to the red zone, which I thought was pretty impressive. So Oregon, I, I looked that up because I was going like, okay, could Oregon? Big vast improvements in terms of red zone right. success after struggling against Washington State. This could be kind of a tough test here, potentially. Stanford lead course of not so fast. Yeah, not so fast. Yeah. Uh, potentially. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of notable. I wanted to bring that up because you're talking about scoring. Obviously, you said it doesn't have to be touchdowns, but um, maybe they force, maybe Camden Lewis has a little more of an active day than, than we were, were expecting. Um, I am sticking with the run game here, um, as you might expect after I went with Bucky for 100. 
yards. I uh, I think Oregon's going to run the ball really effectively here. Currently, I, I usually I like to do it something like this. Currently, the uh, the season high in terms of run yards against an FBS opponent is 212 against BYU. I think Oregon runs for more than that. So 213 or more yards. That's very specific. If we want to make it a little more broad, I'll even go to 225 just to give myself a little bit more of a difficult, more of a challenge. So 225 or more yards on the ground. I think Bucky gets 100. I think a couple other guys have some success. I think there's potential because of some of the, the shortcomings you mentioned earlier with the front for Stanford for Bo Nix to be utilized on the ground um you know maybe he is forced to step up in the pocket but once he gets out there he can run he's proven he's pretty capable in terms of running the football so i think oregon's going to run the ball in this game i think they're going to run the ball effectively throughout i think it's going to be a situation where it's going to the game's going to feel a little similar to byu in, in general and i'll get to a stat predict a score prediction later my prediction's pretty close to that score just because i look at this and think i think oregon has an offense that can beat you multiple ways, but I just don't know if Stanford's going to take the run away. And because Stanford can't take the run away, that's going to set up some play action stuff. That's going to set up some Bo Nix throwing the ball, maybe down the field again a little bit like we saw the last couple of weeks. But for the most part, this is going to be a Oregon grounded pound game. And I think they're going to run the ball really effectively against Stanford. I basically have the same exact thing at Oregon plus 200 <laughs> yards. Not as, not as specific as Eric. Um, but same idea. I, I just think that this offense is going to be able to run on basically anybody. Um, I think that the BYU front is is just better than, than Stanford's front, and they had absolutely no issues going through them. Um, the Washington State game, I don't think a lot of people talked about the run just because they didn't need to, but you know, 178 yards on 32 carries for over five and a half yards per carry. Like if they ran the ball 44 times like they did against BYU, against Washington State, that number would be well over 200 as well. Yep. Um, it'd be near 250. So I think I think this that's just what's going to happen. I don't know if they'll run it 44 times. Maybe they'll they'll give um, they'll give Bo Nick some some more time in the pocket just because you know he's been on fire as well. But you know he only threw 18 times against against BYU. And I think that 18 to 24 mark is probably where we're gonna where Nick sits at this game too. I just don't think that that they're gonna need to throw the ball. I think that uh, their running attack with Irving or Whittington or James or whoever is back there, I think whoever is is just gonna eat all day long. I think they're just gonna have a day at the office and and get in there and get their hundred yards and get out. So I have uh, Oregon's team offense running for over 200 yards. All right, defensive player prediction. Um, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo mm. together will combine for over four and a half tackles for loss on Saturday against Stanford. Um, their offensive line is beat up probably at best. At worst, they could be without their two tackles. Um, that's not good. Their running back room at the end of last season had four scholarship players, two of them and their two top guys transferred out of the program, leaving them with just two scholarship running backs on roster. EJ Smith, who started the year is now done for the season, leaving them with one Casey Phillikins, who's actually from Oregon from Portland. Um, so they don't have a lot of depth there and he's not like an elite pass blocking running back um, for them. Their fullback is hurt as well. I think this leads to plenty of opportunities for Oregon's defense to shoot the gaps and make plays behind the line of scrimmage 
And I think this is a game in which Sewell probably will be distributed throughout the front seven in part because of G.J. Johnson being out the first half. We've seen him kind of play some edge type stuff a little bit. I think we'll see a little bit more of that. Um, and then Flo didn't play a lot against Washington State last week, but he was very productive when he did play. Um, I think his play count goes up. I think Jackson LeDuc's play count goes up against a, a Stanford team that likes to run the football if they can. Um, so I'm thinking Flo and, and Sewell, four and a half tackles for loss just because of the lack of talent and the injuries or the health of that offensive line that Stanford has is going to create some opportunities there. I'm going to add two more things to that. Um, Braxton Bragg was their best offensive lineman. He had to medically retire like in fall camp. He was supposed to be the starting right guard. He's a player who was like all conference and really, really highly regarded. He's no longer there. Um, and the other thing is, in terms of defensive making tackles for loss, disruptive plays, this slow mesh offense, which you don't see very much, it's going to feel like an intentional uh, Brian Bennett, Colt Layerla sharing the ball thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it has a Does little Jared bit of know that. that reference. I did not know. Uh, there was a touchdown. There was a touchdown where it was actually a mistake where both players wanted the football and they just there was a, it was an RP, it was like a zone read thing. And they both just hit the quarterback and the running back tight end, but he was basically a running back in this instance. Carried the ball together into the end zone. They just like, oh, nice. like five yards. Yeah, that, neither of them gave the ball up. The defense was nowhere near them, and they just Holy kind of like, wrestled it into the end zone. Um, but the but but this slow mesh stuff intentionally does extend that a little bit where the quarterback and the running back are going to be carrying the ball together for like three or four seconds sometimes it's it's an, it's it's like a, it's, it's an intentional strategic thing. I also think at times that could allow if, if you get good penetration you get upfield and it's like okay uh, one of these guys is going to go down or maybe both of them. So I, I think that part could come into play um, with your tackle. I like that tackles for loss prediction. I also went um, Noah Sewell centric here. Uh, I thought he played pretty darn well this last game against Washington State in a matchup that wasn't always favorable towards his his skill set. I mean, <clears throat> he had his moments in space where it didn't look great, and I think that's that's one thing we have to note here is um, teams have played to Sewell's weaknesses clearly, and I do think he's a little hobbled. I mean, we we, we saw him after the game kind of limping around a little bit. I don't think there's any question he's not at a hundred percent right now. Um, and I will also say, um, you know, one, one other thought, just big picture in terms of what Stanford might do offensively. I thought it was interesting. Landing said, um, beware of kind of copycat offenses in terms of Stanford traditionally slow mesh, power football throws to the big receivers on the outside on, you know, kind of more slow developing routes. But Landing was like, I think teams are going to scout us and say, hey, look, it's beaten them before. Let's see if we can do the same thing. So I wouldn't be yeah. surprised to see some more screen stuff from Stanford than you're maybe traditionally used to seeing and see if it works. And they have the personnel in terms of just big guys out front to block for their their skill guys to maybe do some of that. But um, that's a slight diversion from kind of what I was getting at. But just something I, I, I wanted to bring up on the podcast is I thought that was kind of an interesting comment he made about just, hey, this is maybe not what Stanford normally does, but against our defense, which has struggled really in space on a lot of these screens and and, and uh, slants and just short passes and stuff like that, they might do a little bit more of that just because it's worked against us so far. But I think Sewell's going to have a big day. I have him with 10 or more tackles. Um, I thought he played pretty darn well against Washington State throughout, and I think Stanford, from what they've done historically, will play to that part of the field. The only reason I would hesitate in terms of making that prediction is 
what what Sewell snap count. And if Oregon gets ahead, like I'm mm -hmm. predict, predicting, I could see them kind of resting him, resting flow, and we see a lot of Leduc, Brown, and Bassa in the second half. Um, I do think this could be a game where where Bassa actually plays more than we think, just because he might be the best matchup on tight ends in in terms of pass defense. Even though I don't know if he's traditionally against the Stanford team, a guy you really want to play that much because he's a little smaller, a little undersized, and, and kind of struggles between the tackles in terms of making making plays on rundowns. But just putting that out there as well, I think that it, I'll be. I'm curious what the rotation will be on the inside linebackers, but I, I like Sewell with ten or more tackles. I got a, a, an underdog, a sleeper pick for mine. I have TriQuest Bridges over five and a half tackles and an interception against Stanford on Saturday. Uh, I think that I think TriQuest, upon rewatching Washington State, I thought he played pretty well, actually. I think Washington State really did not try to go down the field as much as uh, all their counter screens and all their stuff to the sidelines. I thought Quez was, was pretty good in open field tackling as well. Um, if there's an if there's a team that probably has a good matchup for Triquez, it might just be Stanford, just because of his size and length. I think the Stanford wide receivers are good, but I don't think they're uber athletes. I don't think that they're uh, really like really impressive and can run right by somebody. I think that Bridges has the speed to probably stick with most of them. He certainly has the length to try and stick with most of them. Um, I think that this might might be his day day in the sun. Uh, against Stanford on, on Saturday. I just like uh, I just like the matchup for him. Uh, it's a little bit bold of a prediction, but I also think that McKee probably isn't going to go at, at Christian Gonzalez like we've seen so far this year with teams who do throw the ball down the field. Um, Stanford might do a little bit of the copycat offense like Eric was just talking about, but I, I don't feel like they have the personnel. I don't feel like they have the small, quick screen guys unless they're going to throw Casey Filkins out on the on the edge and instead of that running back. But they're big dudes. They don't have a lot of small, like, former New England Shifty Patriots guys. slot receivers. So I, I'm, I'm not sure. They might try to run. I know, like, Elijah Higgins is, is – pretty darn fast in his own right, but he's also a big body dude. Yeah. So I don't know how the screen game is really going to work. Um, it could, again, it could be like a running back screen, like a very traditional screen pass, but um, I think that they're going to throw down the field. And uh, if that's the case, I like Bridges. I like Gonzalez as well. Um, I just think Gonzalez is going to get more, or excuse me, if Bridges is going to get more opportunities, I think he'll take advantage of them this week. Like it. Defensive team predictions. Uh, this will be Oregon's best game to date for Havoc plays. Um, last week, they had their season high of 15. Uh, if you don't know what Havoc, Havoc plays are, it's tackles for loss, interceptions, passes defended, and forced fumbles. Um, I expect that number to be 16 or higher. I think a large part of that is going to be due to tackles for loss for Oregon. Um, I think there's going to be quite a bit of those just because of things we've mentioned the last – 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, I, I just, I don't know what it is. I think this defense is going to, is going to create some turnovers, probably not a lot, but there'll be some. Um, and then it's the tackles for loss for me. Jared's got a good point though. Oregon Triquiz bridges matches up really well with, with Stanford size. So that could be another Avenue, him and Gonzo getting deflections because of their size, which would factor into that as well. That's coming to play today. I like this. The Havoc rate, I, we haven't made a prediction based upon that before. I, I think that's a good one. It's good to introduce that to the fans if they're unfamiliar because that's one that Dan preaches a lot about, talks a lot about, is the Havoc rate. Um, 
I, I, I think I think that's a good prediction. I think that one has a pretty good chance of coming true, especially based upon what we know of Stanford. I do think there will be I'm going with the trend here, which is the turnovers for the Cardinal. They, you know, they've been averaging about three a game, a little more than that. I think they do it. I think Oregon's defense, which I was really good last week in my predictions. I almost got all of them. The one I didn't get was the forced turnovers. They only forced two against Washington State. I went with three. I'm going three this week again. I think Oregon's defense starts is forces some turnovers. They win that battle. Um, I think Triquez is a great name. I think another one for some reason is is one of these safeties. Um, like a, I think I, I, for some reason Brian Addison is coming to my mind here. I don't know why. Of of just mm. size wise like size wise he will maybe be someone that sees the field a little bit more depending on the coverage. Um, you know, scheme that they're in, if they're ever going to be using that one of those deep safeties, you know, in a man coverage situation, if, if Stanford really goes wide with like four, four or five wide outs, um, he might be somebody you want to put man to man there just because he's the same size as, as those guys. And, you, you know, he's several inches taller than the other safeties you have there um, with Bennett yeah. and, and Steve. So <clears throat> I, I just could see him maybe seeing the field more. Maybe he makes a play. We know his offensive acumen in terms of former receiver, but. I think Oregon's going to force some turnovers here. I, I, I get wary of just kind of who's going to be carrying the ball in their turnover history for Stanford. Of you know, mm -hmm. McKee, McKee, I think is really capable, but he has had a history of, of fumbles and throwing the ball in. You know, and I think some of the times, some of those turnovers, the interceptions were receivers' fault. But he has a history of that. And then Philkins being your only running back, basically, if you tee off on him a couple times the ball might pop loose he's not a massive body either i think he's like 511 200 pounds so <clears throat> that's kind of where my head's at with with this one um i think they're going to force some turnovers i went um i went pretty simple with mine i just had eight and a half over uh, tackles for loss uh it, again this just feels like a game where you know stanford has a couple injuries in the offensive line um they may play they may not we still don't know as of now uh, as of the time of recording this podcast, but um, they're going to be banged up regardless. If they're out, that gives Oregon even more opportunities for tackles for loss. Um, uh, Dan Lanning, if you're listening, please stop right now. Um, PFF does not like Stanford's offensive line in terms of pass blocking. Obviously, they are, they're a good run blocking team, um, but I, I, I think that Oregon's just going to have some mojo. They're going to have some. They're coming off a hot streak. They got a they got a nice hitting streak going on right now. They feel good every time they step up to the plate. Um, and I think that's going to transfer over into into this weekend. Um, I think that you know going off of my my predictions, the keys to the games early of stopping the run. I think that's where the tackles for loss comes in. I think Oregon's going to um, line up and and run heavy at Stanford's twelve or thirteen personnel. Um, they're going to force Tanner McKee to beat them. And I think there's going to be a lot of tackles in the backfield. So I've got Oregon over eight and a half tackles for loss. All right, game picks. Since 2009, Stanford has allowed 45 or more points 13 times. They, they, don't, they don't give up huge numbers of yards like that very often. Um, I think Oregon hits that 45 number and exceeds it. And it's going to be the highest point total for Oregon since 2014, which was played at Austin Stadium uh, for Oregon. That was the year they made the college football playoff. I just look at this and think 
Stanford can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. They give up a ton of sacks. They can't protect Tanner McKee very well. They don't really have a running game. They only have one running back. This just feels like one of those games where even though the history says this is a game that's back and forth and crazy, you get upsets and whatnot. It just seems like too much is stacked against the deck for Stanford to to make it that type of a game. I think Oregon's offense is on fire at home. I'm rolling Oregon 49 to 24. Um, Bo Nix plays a little bit of that fourth quarter before coming out. And that's where maybe a, a touchdown or maybe 10 points by Stanford in the fourth quarter kind of makes this a little bit more respectable, but Oregon covers the 17 points and Oregon scores the most points against Stanford since 2014. I don't quite have the points hitting, but I also have about the same margin. Um, I, you know, I think the more you get through a week, it's funny how some weeks you start the week feeling confident and by the end you start feeling less confident. And some weeks you start the week kind of feeling not as confident and by the end of it you feel more confident. It's been the latter for me this week. Not that I ever thought Oregon was going to lose, but I really like Tanner McKee and I don't want to overlook him. I thought last year he performed quite well for portions of the game and was a huge part of them upsetting Oregon. But I think the more I look back at last year's game, I think that was a lot of self-inflicted stuff from Oregon. I mean, you look at the stats, you look, you rewatch the game. That was an Oregon problem, not a Stanford problem. And I think this year, Stanford has not been good. I'm not overly confident. They've got massive holes on offense at spots that are important, especially with injuries right now. Um, and meanwhile, Oregon, I, I think, is, is, as Matt said, firing on all cylinders You know, at home. I mean, second half last week against Washington State was just as good. I mean, honestly, the first half was great, but they just couldn't finish drives. I mean, they had 624 yards in that game. Um, that's impressive any week against any opponent. And Washington State came in as one of the better defenses. And I think if you were just to match up the defenses, I think every, most people would agree Washington State's defense is better than Stanford's. So I, I think there's going to be points to be scored. I don't have 49. Um, I think this first half might be somewhat competitive for a minute because Stanford is a, a fairly proud program. But I have Oregon pulling away. I have them winning 41-17, to 17, covering the spread. Um, I think – you're going to see a lot of success on the ground in this one from Oregon offensively, not much from Stanford on their side. And Tanner's going to do the best he can to kind of move the football, but I don't, I don't see a ton of scoring in this game. I think we're going to come away feeling, hey, the offense did what we're used to seeing, but maybe the defense kind of stepped up and impressed us in ways we haven't seen. Because I think even in, even in the wins in kind of this, this win streak after the Georgia loss, you kind of throw out the Eastern Washington game to a certain degree because it's Eastern Washington, right? And then you kind of look at BYU and you go, man, they didn't tighten up at the end of the game. They gave up some points. I know the turnovers and poor offensive play led to that, but you kind of was like, eh, I don't know. And then against Washington State, it was pretty inconsistent until the very end of the game, and they made some really big stops, forced turnover, et cetera. I think this might be the game where you come away feeling like there's a complete offensive, there's a complete defensive showing. Um, for the first time this season, and, and you kind of wave, come away feeling maybe a little bit better about what you've got defensively. I like it. I've got Oregon winning 45-21. My lone concern is will there be enough time on the clocks to get to 45 points? Because I think both teams are just going to try to run the ball, and I think Oregon's going to try to run it. I think they're going to have a lot of success. I think Stanford is going to try to run it. I don't think they're going to have a lot of success, but that's just kind of what Stanford does. Um Again, this is going to come down to how Oregon's secondary performs against Tanner McKee. 
like Eric, I really like Tanner McKee. Um, he's just another guy from Stanford who's going to be a good quarterback and probably a quarterback in the NFL for a little bit. Um, and he's 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 a quality guy. I, I think that that's going to be a problem to start. I agree too that that Stanford's going to come out of the gate early and do well. Um, I think that Oregon's defensive line and I think their pass rush is eventually going to get to McKee and the running backs. Um, I think they're just going to stall out Stanford's offense, and I don't think Oregon's offense is going to stop clicking. Um, I think that they're on a roll right now, and they have been. Again, I know they only scored nine points in the first half against Washington State, but they still accumulated over 300 yards of total offense. The red zone de deficiencies were the issues there. Um, I think they'll be better this time around, even though Stanford, as Eric mentioned earlier on the, on the show, is uh, top 15 in red zone defense. I think that'll be a problem, but I think we'll come away saying, you know what, they did X to that top 15 red zone defense. I think they're, they're going to be fine for the rest of the year. Um, this just seems like, like a game where Oregon just take cares of, takes care of business. Um, and I'm with Eric again on the, you kind of come in nervous and then over the rest of the week, you feel better about it. Um, you know, like Monday, Tuesday, I was like, man, this is a quintessential back 12 after dark game. This is Stanford has a chance to, you know, ruin a top 15 ranked Oregon team in the dark, like at Autzen. The last time Oregon lost at home was to Stanford. Um, you know, we all remember Oregon's loss last year. Um, over the week, it's just, uh, I, th I think that this, this team is ready. I think it's a completely different coach team. I think they are, um, there are a lot of veterans on this team who remember those, those two losses. Um, I, I think they're going to come out and and try to manhandle Stanford. I think they're going to try to out Stanford Stanford for a bit of this game, similar to how Mario Cristobal did it at points. But um, now with a passing attack and people who can catch footballs down the field. So I like Oregon's chances here, 45 to 21. Okay, so we're all expecting – math is hard for me sometimes, but I think we're all expecting them to cover. I yep. think we, all, we might have all had 24 points. Margins almost too, like very similar score. It's all forties, low forties, low twenties. So my question here is, <clears throat> what happens if they win by seven? Do we view this like an FCS game where if they win by twenty-one points against an FCS opponent, it's like yeah they won, but man that was sloppy. They should have played a lot better. Or do we look at it as hey they just beat Stanford? Who cares? Knowing the history of this game, it's a good question, Matt. Yeah, I think it. I think it depends how they win by seven. Is it like that? Is it just a terrible performance with poor execution, or is it like a fourteen to seven game where both teams kind of stink and Oregon sneaks away with a win? Um, I don't. I, I. It would be really hard. I, my brain kind of doesn't understand the concept of this game being a seven point win um, without I'm, it being like 20, 21 to fourteen or fourteen to seven, something really low scoring where just the defense takes over. Um, and that it, there's a, basically a running clock all game long with how often they're running. I, I would be really underwhelmed if Oregon only scored 14 or 21 points against the Stanford defense too, though. I mean, so yeah. I, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, that's a good question, Matt. Um, first, I would, if, if uh, hypothetically we're doing this podcast on Saturday, it might even be Sunday at, at that point because we're going to record it. It'll probably be Sunday early. Morning. Oh, it'll be Sunday. Yeah. Um, yes. And if it's a seven-point Oregon win, I, I think I'd want to start by saying, "Hey, a win's a win. You're four and one. It's you know, hey, who cares? You got the win." But then also saying, "There's a lot of things 
to deal with. Because I, I think if it's only a seven-point win, there's going to be a laundry list of things to work on. They probably turned it over. They probably didn't run the ball as effectively as we thought. They would probably ended up being a game where um, Stanford was a little bit more feisty in areas that we're kind of overlooking. Or maybe Stanford runs the ball better. Maybe Stanford doesn't have issues uh, in terms of protecting the quarterback. Maybe Stanford doesn't turn it over. I think it would be a lot of areas. I think for the game to be that close, it would be a lot of areas we perceive as being favorite or uh, favorable for Oregon that didn't end up being. And I think that would you know raise some concerns at least going into the Arizona game. Because I'll be honest, I think they get past this game, which I'm obviously confident in. I feel pretty confident against them against Arizona. And then you get into a bye week, and I think you're going to be sitting there assessing the season, feeling like, hey, this is a team that could be pretty darn good in terms of making not a run at a college football playoff because I still think that's probably going to be almost impossible. But like, hey, this is a team that might be can go make a Rose Bowl. Like, this is that kind of a team. So, um, but I I do agree, Matt. I think it's a good question because we all are like, hey, Oregon's going to win by like three or four scores. If it's really close, what's the sense? And I know I know what the fans' reaction is going to be. I think there will be some that say, hey, it's just Stanford. We're going to have a debate all throughout the week about, hey, gosh, they should beat Stanford a lot worse. Stanford stinks. I think there's going to be some things that are probably reasonable to gripe about, though, if they only do win by seven, because I do think Oregon's significantly better than Stanford this year. I'd like to see our, our predictions from last season and see what we thought Oregon would win by in that point. Do you mean to, to pull that up really fast? If you can, go for it, because I this feels deja vu-ish. <laughs> just like talking about how yeah, poor, we... poor Stanford played last year, and it's like how Oregon's you know firing on all cylinders except for, and I mean they they beat Ohio State. They're like ah, Stanford, who needs them? Yeah, uh, it definitely. Let's see if I can find it. I think we were all pretty confident in Oregon going down there and winning massive down down on the farm. We didn't know about Bennett Williams. Think that was a factor. Um, the injury leading up to that game. And Joe, we certainly Moorhead, didn't know Moorhead, yeah. about Joe Moorhead, which was the biggest impact, I think. Um, I disagree with Jared on if this game is going to be a seven point, it'd be a low scoring. I think if it goes seven, it's because Stanford's offense or just Stanford in general will score some fluky touchdowns that will make up for the lack of explosiveness. You'll see games where it's like you get a pick six and then you get like a, mm-hmm. a, a butt fumble or something like that that puts you know the opponent inside the 10 and they score that way. Like, that's how I feel like if Oregon is in a seven-point game late, late against Stanford, some really kooky, crazy things will have happened um, to allow Stanford to keep pace with – Oregon's offense because I don't think they're they're going to be able to stop Oregon's offense. It boils down to just can the offense or Stanford in general generate some kind of of point there. I'm str- I'm struggling to find these, Matt. What did you title these last year? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm almost I'm looking too. Um, I can't I can't find them. I'm looking now through your your own personal posting history all the way back, which is going to take me like a good two minutes. Oh, I I uh, went the wrong direction on that one. I was right. I was right there. Okay, here we go. You got it. Um, did they play Arizona first? I can't remember. Or oh, here we go. Yeah, Arizona was before Stanford. Okay, so this is great podcasting, by the way. 
Well, I think um, it's interesting. That's why, that's why we're here. Yeah, I found it. I found yeah, it. All right, go here we, go. we got it. I couldn't find it. I I predicted forty-two twenty-four. So almost a very similar score by my oh, by my oh, point. Oh boy, <laughs> that's I was telling you guys. It felt like deja vu. Eric had thirty-eight sixteen. Oh boy, I had forty-one. That's really close. It's forty. Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say it's very close. To and my then prediction. Jared was thirty-five seventeen. Oh boy, I had forty-five twenty-one. So we all, all we, kind of in the same boat here. We're all in the same boat. So if you're betting at home, fade us apparently because. That yeah, very me, similar. That vibes. makes me. That's the most nervous I've been all week. Is you reading through that, and going, <laughs> uh, me going like, oh boy, we all felt very similar <laughs> last week. I'm, I'm, yeah, it feels it, it's very deja vu. So I mean, it's, it's literally I, just a year later too. Disregard the last fifty-two minutes of the podcast. Fifty-two uh, <laughs> minutes, yeah. Just say disregard all of what we just said. None of that matters. It's just uh, yeah. No, that's we'll interesting. We'll see what happens on Saturday. That that is interesting. Yeah, no, that's. That that uh that tells a story. That that game last year though, I think had so much weirdness with it that I just oh, yeah. don't see quite as much weirdness this Saturday. But I'm now more nervous than I was. To... Dang it, Jared! Why'd you tell us to do that? Not 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 questioning <laughs> everything. Well, you know, I just I had to help. <sighs> All right, that's gonna do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. The next time you'll hear us or see us, if you're on the YouTube side, is. Sometime Sunday, early morning, when we're recording a podcast, breaking down Oregon's outcome against the Stanford Cardinal at Austin Stadium. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.